do sit down, take your Bibles, and turn to Matthew 7. Uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the last part. We're winding down, folks. You know, you may wonder, why in the world did he choose to do this part of the Sermon on the Mount during Christmas? You know, last week we, we looked at a really difficult passage. And the passage uh, was about false prophets. You know, the, the great speakers and the teachers who appear to be concerned, uh, intelligent, kind, and gentle. All those people we hear at Christmas time and we hear on the radio and we see all the time, right? But Jesus said what they appear to be. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. What makes this passage so hard? Text because it comes after Jesus' words, do not judge, lest you be judged. Or if you have the NIV, it says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. These False prophets never liked what Jesus had to say. In Matthew 23, 7, he called them whitewashed tombs. Of course, we don't have any of these around here today, right? Oh, we must. Somebody, somebody's laughing. Okay. Today's false prophets, though, find only good things to say about each other and about spreading the word. They only have great things to say. As a matter of fact, they have marketing firms to make good and sure everything's exactly right. By today's standards, if a modern prophet, false prophet, Pharisee, was called a whitewashed tomb, we would be arrested for a hate crime. But then these words came from Jesus. And the standards for our own judging... We're to go by his word. Jesus tells us that the false prophets are known by their fruits. And then, it's really interesting, he draws us a picture. Now, I don't know when you read the Bible, if you read it, I hope you see these pictures because it's painted right in the wording, right all the way through the Bible. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I'm reading in verse 16, 7, 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, I want you to see something here. He starts and he, and he ends with recognizing them by their fruit. Must be important at the beginning and at the end, so Jesus said it twice so that we would notice it. Must be important. So one quick technical thing I want you to see here is that and understand is, is what we mean by bad tree. I want you to know something here. The bad tree produces fruit too. It's not a rotten tree. It's a bad tree. So that means we got bad trees and good trees out there in the orchard, folks. We have to be able to recognize the, uh, the fruit. Let me tell you something. I hope this isn't too gory of a picture. When the Europeans came over here and they were conquering the, the taking the Americas, right? When they, in the, they were in the Caribbeans, they found this 
tree, and it looked exactly like an apple. It was called the McAneel tree. You ever heard that? You ever heard this story? Well, let me tell you what it's all about. They, they, uh, they, they, they thought this juice of this, this beautiful fruit tree was just wonderful, except that the natives used it to put it on the tips of their arrows, arrows to kill people, like Ponce de Leon. That's how he died. By the tip of the Macanil. So let me tell you what, a drop of this trickling off in the rain, they say, produces blisters on your hands. It's pretty bad. And today, it's on the, the tree's on the endangered species. <laughs> I guess anybody couldn't get close enough to nuke it. it, it but it's, it's on the endangered species. And uh, the few that do remain have a big X on them, big red X on them, and uh, with a sign warning. And hopefully it's in a language you understand. What makes the fruit look like a normal fruit? What made it so different? It's what's on the inside that we couldn't see. It's the inside of that, that horrible apple that we couldn't see that'll kill you. So you have to be able to discern what it is. So you know what? Don't be fooled by outward appearances is what Jesus is saying right here. It could kill you. You know, both may look okay, that good apple and that bad apple. They both produce fruit, but one is good and the other is bad. It's important to understand the distinction, isn't it? And that's what Jesus is telling us to do right here, and he's giving us a way to do it. So let's pay attention to this, see what it says. Teaches, Jesus teaches us something that's really important about being a Christian. It's, it's what's inside a person. It's what's inside of a Christian. What looks like a Christian, what walks like a Christian, but it's what's inside there that really counts, isn't it? Appearances, what's seen on the surface, is not what matters. It's the picture of the trees. It's one on the what's on the inside of the trees that really makes the difference, isn't it? He's telling us the world to watch out and don't be fooled by appearances. Our problem is that we see something we want and then we try to to add to it as something that we should add to our our list of good things about us, right? We want to add it to ourselves. Jesus says that's not what you should be doing at all. What we should be doing is receive from Christ what is good and put it on the inside as it grows inside. Let me tell you what, Christ living in us is what grows from the inside, right? And that's what we want to come out. That's what we want to be seen by. So the main emphasis here is on the person. Someone... uh, Sometimes you may see people that talk the talk and walk the walk. Uh, they use all the right words and the right arguments, all that stuff. You know a few people like that? Mm-hmm. They appear to, to live life the right way, but Jesus says they may be pro- false prophets. So be careful. Look close. We're allowed to do that. We're supposed to do that. Someone can look and act like a Christian without really being one. Hmm. The church has had that problem since the start, hadn't it? And Jesus tells us right up from the front to be a Christian means there's a change in our nature and our whole being. It changes from the inside. The old person dies and a new person is born. 
Jesus says in verse 22 that not everyone who uses his name will enter heaven. Look at that. We're going to talk about that more in detail next week, but look at it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are the ones who appear to be doing the right things without the right motives, without the right thing in their heart. You know, they were doing the right things, maybe, but they were useless because their motives were wrong. It wasn't from Christ. That's one thing that makes a Christian unique. It's about the state of the heart as it is expressed outward. It's not about outward appearances. It's about what comes out into the outside. That's what makes Christians different. In Scripture, the heart is generally not the the seat of emotions. It's the seat of the whole being. We get confused about that, especially around Christmas time, don't we? About all the emotions. Let me give an example in Matthew 12. Jesus says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Same thing, isn't it? Just another place in the Bible. Jesus is saying again what's on the inside that's important. He even gives us a list of of, uh, toxins inside, if you will, like that McNeil tree. And in Mark 7, he says, from within, out of the heart, get this, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. How many times do we say, oh, wasn't my fault. Someone else did it. It was their evil actions. What came out, folks? It's not just cleaning the outside of a cup and a dish while the inside is still filthy. Jesus used that one too, didn't he? Matthew 23. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out. It's the real person inside that counts. Well, I know a lot of people squirming right now. What's in your heart? reveals itself in your life. It comes out as you walk in the world. We know Christ's principles. If we we know all that he's commanded us, if you read this thing and you know all that he commands us, let me tell you what, I'm a slow learner. I have to read it all the time. You know, some of us have been reading it through the whole year. We're going to do it again next year, I hope. We are, aren't we, Pastor Ed? Yeah. We're going to do this again. You know, and I hope that the people, we were talking this week, there's about oh, eight or nine people that have done it all year long. And, you know, someone said, oh, we only had eight or nine. I tell you what, praise the Lord, we had eight or nine that have come all the way through it. And let me tell you what, the people that do that, you're going to want to do it again. Because the second time through, it gets better. It's amazing, isn't it? We have to know that. We have to know all of Jesus' commands. We have to put that in here and have him convert it to put it in here so that that's what comes out. When it's in your heart, 
what's in your heart reveals what's in your life. If we know Christ's principles, if we know all that he commanded us, if, if we know him, what's revealed in his word, if we know the Christ that died on the cross, we know the Christ that died for you, the Christ who suffered a horrible death and took all our sins away. If we know him, then you want to know him better. You want to know that kind of love, and you want that inside of you, don't you? I hope so. It's been said that the, um, we have to be able to identify that. And, and look, we lived in Canada for a while. I'm not going to bore you with our personal experiences, but we lived in Canada for a while, just long enough to know that that's not where you need to be. It's cold up there, folks. But what, <laughs> what, one thing that we did learn about uh, when we were up there is that it's funny. Everybody I work with, they did a lot with currency, but they were always doing things with the currency to make good insurance real. They were really concerned with counterfeiting. It's been said back then, I don't know if they still do it because there's so many modern techniques, but it's been said that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were the best ones in the whole world for recognizing counterfeit money. Do you know why? They have a training program that they would go to. It lasted for weeks, and they were actually in a camp closed off from everybody else. And all they did all day long was handle real money. No fake, no counterfeit. And then when they got out of there, they, they learned to do, they had a four-step thing that they did. They would, I mean, I, I wrote it down here. They would uh, touch, tilt, look at, and look through. I don't have to look it up. They would touch it, and they would tilt it, and they would look at it, and then they would hold up the light and look through it. And they just did that naturally. I mean, instinctively. It just happened to them. It's the way that they did it. And I couldn't help but thinking, why couldn't we be looking like that? You know, we, we, when, when we look at something that's of Christ, and we're saying, is this real? Is this a false prophet or not? You know, so we take it. We, we touch it. And when we tilt it, we hold it up next to God's word. Does it stand up? And we look at it. Is it what's... We learn what Christ has taught us in ourselves and then hold it up. Is this what God has given us? Why can't we do the same thing? I kind of like that. Do you? Okay, no amens on that one. We'll, we'll take, take that one out. We need to find the real characteristics of a real Christian. Let's see the characteristic Jesus gives us as a real Christian life. The life he puts inside of us. First, there's an unbreakable tie between what we believe and how we live. Sometimes we say we believe something, we don't live that way. You've got to believe it, and if you believe it, you put it into your heart, then you live that way, no matter what. And what we think about all day long is what we wind up doing. You know, a long time ago, you know, those of you who been in sales, you know, was it Charlie Jones or one of those guys said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. And salesmen believe that, and they live that, so they'll think that, and they'll work all that in their head. i got to tell you, I, I, I dispelled that one when my son was, was a teenager. He, he, he was just so infatuated with this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and I thought, a man is what he thinks about all day long. Quick, stop it. I was afraid he was going to grow long blonde hair and his eyes would turn blue. That's what he thought about all day long. What you allow from the, what we think about is what we eventually wind up doing. And what you allow to go on inside eventually comes out. Uh, you know what? You don't pick grapes 
in the thorn bushes, do you? And you don't get figs in the thistles. Everybody here know what a thistle is? That's something that seems to be in all the translations, yeah. You don't want that old burry stuff. I hate it. You don't go out and pick figs there. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. We aren't looking at appearances anymore, folks. Now we're examining it, life itself, our lives and the lives of others. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. So we may be deceived sometimes. We've all been deceived when we're trying to discern. Appearances can do that. But you and I know that appearances don't last forever, do they? Uh, keep watching. The Puritans had a name for these people. They called them temporary believers. What would happen is someone would come in and they, you know, they'd do handsprings down the aisle and jump into the baptistry, whatever they did back then. And, you know, they would get all excited and, and then, then they would start watching them and walking with them and sure enough, they'd fall away. Didn't last because it wasn't really converted inside. They'd get discouraged or they would fall back into their old way of life, really. They said the right things, but there, was, there wasn't a change in their lives, a true change, only something on the outside. They appeared to be Christian, and so they were called temporary believers because they later gave these unmistakable evidence that they had not really become a Christian at all. Their own people said that even at, at revivals, some had been carried along by, by, the, here's the, by the flood of all the religious excitement. And they didn't really know what they were doing. And then they fell back into their old life. And according to their teaching, these poor souls may never become Christians. Second Peter 2. Peter talks about some who had come into the church and had accepted as Christians, but they had gone astray. And after listing their internal false beliefs, he describes their ultimate end. He says, a dog returns to his vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. <laughs> we dealt with some pigs here, this very pig here in the last, uh, I, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about you. Um, <laughs> You see, even a hog can be washed and look clean, but hogwash won't do it, folks. It has to be on the inside. It's only on the inside. In Peter's description of the temporary believers, he makes it plain that there was never a change inside and never a changed heart. Never a new creature. There's a new creature going in there when Christ came in. He changed everything and he's growing. Should be able to rejoice in that all the time. Let me tell you what, the real internal person eventually comes out. Always will. You and I may not see true evidence for a long time, but know this, God sees it from the beginning. What is inside will eventually come out. and It will be evident in his teaching and it will show in his life. It's inevitable. True Christian belief will produce Christian living. And that's the answer to the question. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
the inner nature can never be separated from your real life. It can't happen. Okay. Always look for the fruit. That's my point. Always look for the fruit. And you may not be able to see everything exactly, immediately, or quickly, but always be looking for it. With that said, let's see what he's telling us about the good, good fruit. What is it? Where do we look for it? How do we recognize it when we, when we, when we see it? Uh, we have to look at it in others, and we also have to look at it in ourselves. And we have to look at it who and what is being offered as a good fruit. Uh, that's the most dangerous one. The most dangerous ones are, are the ones standing outside the narrow gate who are offering this, this, this great life through the, the wide gate. Man, it looks good, doesn't it? Ooh, looks so good, that wide gate crowd. Man, how many times you wanted to follow them? It's becoming more and more evident every day. You know what, folks? The greatest enemies of the church are not the ones outside the church. Are you listening to me? They're the ones inside the church. They're ones militant about exterminating us, about, about the ones who are inside organized religion, doing all that high church stuff that things they're posing as Christians. You know, I, I'll confess, there's a lot of times I really don't like liturgy. I don't like to get caught up. I, I wish I just want to come here and worship the Lord. I want to offer him everything as, as he leads us. Here's how one, here, 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 let me tell you, this is, I, I read this story. This happened, oh, about four or five years ago. Um, it's reported, I found it reported online by John uh, Stone Street. You know him at Breakpoint? You ever read Breakpoint? I used to read it a lot. Here's what he says. At the general meeting of one of the old line Christian denominations, according to blog reports, delegates were discussing a resolution to add to the English standard version of the Bible to the list of officially approved versions for their denomination. I'm not going to give you any denomination names, okay? Just go with me on this one. Then someone discovered that the ESV rendering of 1 Corinthians 6.9 clearly indicates that those who unrepentantly practice homosexuality is among those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Well, immediately a new vote was called and the resolution on the ESV was in an essence tabled. But then someone got around to reading the other translations that had been approved and were, and were shocked to discover that essentially the same wording is found in the NIV, the RSV, the CEV, and all those V's that they had approved. Hmm. And several other versions uh, were so close, it was just amazing. You know what their response was? Who knew? Nobody ever bothered to look. How sad is that? This denomination eventually approved uh, not only the ESV, but also they went on to overlook what it, it said and all the rest of them, and they allow preaching in the pulpit uh, and free, pretty much, homosexuality running loose throughout their denomination. How are they dealing with it today? They're blogging about it. How wonderful. Lead bad. 
How wonderfully corrupt is that? Throughout history, the church has faced a problem and has had the presence of false Christianity in the organized ranks and has been the hindrance to and from the greatest enemy of their spirituality. I'm afraid it's in the church. The biggest trouble in our world today is not government that denies God. It's not the biggest problem. It's a problem, all right. It's not the nation that's turned its back on God. Those are big problems. Granted, I agree. But the greatest problem of all is the worldly state of the church. We should be a whole lot more concerned about the state of the church than we are the worldly things outside the church. It seems to be getting clearer every day that the reason for the present state of Christendom is inside the church, not outside of it. The problems of the church are so subtle. Uh, To see the false prophets, to see the false doctrine, we have to do some testing. Jesus tells us here how to test, how to to look at it. What are we going to look for? Okay, there's general tests. And there's specific tests, as usual. Now we're going to get really forensic. I know those of you are going to love this one. There's general ways and there's specific ways to test. Let's take the situation where we have someone who makes a profession of faith as a Christian. He says something obviously wrong and appears to be living a, 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 a good Christian life. He says everything right. And how do we discern that person? How do we figure out whether or not that's someone we should be walking with and allowing them to, be, to teach us even? Yeah, you can have good ethical and moral people without a a high standard of personal living, and they look remarkably like Christians. But they may not be Christian at all. How do we tell the difference? How do we know the difference? Well, one thing you can ask is, why is this perfect person living the life that he's living? What's his motives? What's his reasons for living this way? Why would someone do that? Okay, I have a whole lot of testimony I can tell you about. Um, I was a gospel singer back in the 70s, traveling around, and uh, you'd be amazed at some of the gospel singers, how they act off stage back then. Now, it's not an indictment of anybody today. You know, on stage, it's great, and I get to worship with that music. Is that someone, though, I want to walk with on a daily basis? Maybe not. Think about that. You may know people who go to church regularly, but they don't live by the New Testament rules. That's another one to look at. They don't have those standards that you can see. So why do they live the way they do? What's their motives? What's their reasons? Could be any many reasons. They're, they're, they may have a great personality. They're just good people. They like to please people, and they like to win people, and um, all those things. Some people are, are just born nice, aren't they? Hadn't seen many of them lately, but I know there are some out there, or at least some of them born more nice than others, and they may be quiet and peaceful, non-irritating, all those things, um, all those good qualities everyone admires, and they seem to do it with no effort. You ever notice that? Mm-hmm. It seems to be built into their natural character. Another question you need to ask yourself, and does this person have some moral code or or, or that he subscribes to? Is there a some code of morality. We have a whole country built on a, on a great moral code, don't we? And God used to be, and still is mentioned, maybe on some of the money. 
But did you hear it in any of the dialogue? Hmm. Great moral code, though. We, we have managed to change it a lot. We are turning it into the rules code as we change that constitution. Another story, another time. You know, some of the people you know have high moral standards. I, let me tell you what. I've, been, I've had the um, privilege, I suppose, of being actually a personal friend of a, of a Mormon bishop. And he has really high moral characteristics. I'm not going to give you anything about him, but I can tell you I don't want to worship with him every day. Whoa. Now that ought to really get me in trouble, shouldn't it? If you're going to judge someone's living and appearance, then you most likely will be deceived. Know that. It's been said there are better Christians outside of Christianity than there are Christians in it. Did you hear me? Some people have said that. Good morality may have nothing to do at all with Christianity. I can, you know, when I think about it, you go back and think about it, the Greeks had one of the highest moral standards of any in, in history. And yet they were the ones who considered the cross offensive. Whoa. So we can't just look at someone's life in general, can we? Can't do that. We, we, we have to look at, at the reasons, the motives for where they live. And as a Christian, there's only one thing to determine. Does this person live his life because of his faith in Jesus Christ? His faith that Jesus Christ died for his sins. Are you a believer because you believe that Jesus Christ died the horrible death that he did for you. Amen. A death you could not, a sacrifice you could not make to please God. Do you believe that Jesus did that for you? And it's a gift. You can't go and earn it. You can't go and beg for it. You can't do anything. All you can do is receive it as a gift. Amen. And then your faith is in him to save you. Him and Him only. Nothing else. No works. No other God. No other belief other than Christ died for you. And you've received His gift of grace. Isaiah uh, talks about the ones who, who come and they preach God's Word, but they're useless. There's no value in, what, in their lives, even though it's... Got, it's things of God they seem to be preaching there's no value because it didn't come from God he said righteous deeds are like a polluted garment filthy rags in the King James I actually like that better the world sees righteousness God sees filthy dirty clothes unless it comes from a heart that's being built by Jesus unless it comes from a heart that's changed by Jesus' death on the cross. There's the general test. Motive of faith. Real quickly, I want to give you some, some specific ones. Um, we aren't being judges here. Remember that. We are, every judgment we make is also on ourselves. So with specific tests of life, uh, there are negative tests and there's positive tests. The negative test is, is when a person does not have the true Christian doctrine inside. Uh, he may be moral. He may not have his name on the FBI's most wanted list. 
Um, nobody's out there looking for them or, or for anything immoral, fattening, or well, any of that stuff. But unless someone truly believes that his sins are certain death and that Christ is certain life, then whatever he says or does is pretty much useless. Not pretty much, it is useless. There's always a part of someone's life who will refuse to, to walk the, the um, narrow and the straight path when faced with a real trial. And that's where the test comes. When there's a trial, where do you go with it? You know, i got to tell you, we, we, how many times have we quoted 1 Corinthians 10 13 this week? You know, we all will have trials. And a true Christian comes to a point where he knows that either Christ is going to give us the strength to endure or he's going to give us a way out. But nowhere in there does it say he's going to take away the trial. We have to give it to him. He has to be our strength that conquers it because we belong to him. Here's one test. Where do the people go when they have a real trial and they... they their heart is really where they need to give it to Christ and let him be their strength. Those with a hidden worldly heart eventually will be exposed. Positive test is a true believer is someone who displays evidence of the Beatitudes. Now, let me tell you what. This is in here for a reason. You know, we started with Beatitudes back in chapter 5, right? The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So, he said, learn those, know those, all of those, all of them. Not one, not two. The Catholic Church says you, know, you can only get one if you're really good. If you get all of them, then you get sainthood. Let me tell you something. If you've received Jesus Christ, you're a saint. And he says you are to have all of the Beatitudes working in your life. That's how you are to live. Uh, you don't have to, to uh, taste the apples out there. You know, to, the, the good fruit, because it's evidenced by what's inside of you, you can hold it up next to. Am I making sense here? Okay. A good tree will produce good fruit. It can help. It's built into its, its DNA. A good Christian is poor in spirit. Get all this? Mourns because of the sin in his life. Hungers and thirst for righteousness because of it. Hungers and thirst for righteousness because of that. Is a peacemaker, pure in heart. All these things we read in the Beatitudes. Even good non-believers, false prophets, even temporary Christians fail against the Beatitudes. This is the test of the ultimate inner being. What's in there? You want to know how to build it? You want to know what it's made of? What Christ gives us right here in the Sermon on the Mount. And a matter of fact, if you don't like that, we, we actually memorized something here not long ago in Galatians 5. You know you can hold it up against the fruits of the Spirit. Remember that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what my version has. Um, those are all the characteristics of a good tree, aren't they? Of the fruit that comes from a good tree. A true Christian generally can be known by his appearance. The person who believes in the holiness of God and, and who knows his own sinfulness and the blackness in his own heart, if you know that, you know that's in there, it's okay. You give it to Christ. 
all those things that we talk about here. Let me tell you what the key to all that is, what I see, and especially in today's thing, it's humility. We don't really have that many humble Christians out there, folks. Um, I want to read you something that Martin Lloyd-Jones said, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. Several of you know he's about my favorite author. I think he was the greatest preacher of the 20th century. He said, listen to this. He says, truth within must of necessity affect a one's appearance. Your appearance is affected by what you believe inside. Truth within must of a necessity affect one's appearance. The New Testament man is, and woman, is serious and humble. He is meek. He has the joy of the Lord in his heart, yes, but he is not lavish. He is not boisterous. He is not carnal in his life. He is a man who says with Paul, while we are in this tent, we are burdened. Don't hear that much, do we? To say and to believe that is, to, is bound to affect the whole man. Even the way he dresses and as well as his demeanor, he is not interested in pomp and show and external out, externalities. He is not interested in making an impression. He is meek and concerned about God and his relationship to him and the truth of God. That shows in your walk, in your life, in the way that you talk, in the way you present yourself. Even if you're just standing out there in one of those Christmas lines, people are going to know what's inside that heart of yours. They'll see it. And I believe with Peter, they're going to ask because they want to know what that is going on. The ultimate test, I believe, is humility. And if we have the pride of life, we can't really learn the truth, can we? Uh, that's when we need to stop and examine ourselves and be sure that we have the new nature in us. You know, all those things we talk about, pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and First John, I think all sins fall into those three categories. And I want you to look around you here at Christmas time. And at the marketing, at the, at the windows, if you watch TV, at the TV commercials and all of that, all three of those are being presented to us, folks, constantly. And that's going in. Don't let it come out. We have a buffer for that, don't we? It's Jesus Christ and his word and him living in us. You know... What's inside will show itself. If I'm worldly minded, yeah, it'll come out. And it will come out, let me tell you this, what I found in my life, it'll come out when I least expect it. And Jesus says we will be judged by our careless words. can tell a lot about someone by how they proclaim and how they profess the truth in their life. You know what? If I or anybody that comes into this pulpit ever comes into here pounding the pulpit and getting all sweaty and yelling and screaming and, you know, and all those things or, or try to use clever words or clever arguments to persuade you, you know what? Beware. God's word is the most effective thing we have. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, 
I don't need any Bible helper to add to it. If we didn't do anything but get up there and just read God's word and put that in here and allow him to convert it to here, wow, who would, be, who would we be? We'd be out there walking around the world exactly what Jesus is talking about here, wouldn't we? Paul uh, went preaching to Corinth. You know, we, we, we read 2 Corinthians, I guess, this week in our read through the Bible. And when he went off to Corinth, um, he went off full of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand, when Paul went off to Corinth, uh, there had been a lot of people that come in behind him and said, this guy is a lousy guy. He's not really all that good. He doesn't really have any credentials you need to pay attention to. He didn't have a resume for the search committee. He didn't have anything that's really important. Uh, matter of fact, right, folks, right now he's in jail. What good is he? Why don't you pay attention to us? So Paul went back to Corinth, and he writes back to him, and um, he didn't go there with self-assurance. He didn't go there pounding on the pulpit. You know what he's, how he went? Let me read it to you. He told them he came in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That's where we place our assurance, folks. And that's what needs to come out of here, everywhere we are. God's power is in you. If you have Jesus Christ in you, God is in you. His power is in there. All that other stuff that we, I call noise, you know what? Forget it. It's Christ in you. And a lot of you have a lot of problems out there banging on you. Physical problems. We even call them addiction problems. Whatever it is. Christ has conquered all of that. Amen. Know that. It's not a promise for me. It's in God's word. Finally, we have to remember that whatever we think, and uh, no matter how many wrong judgments we might make, or how often we're deceived by false prophets, God's not deceived. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, the, thrown into the fire. God is not deceived. May we belong to him. Pray with me. Lord, have mercy on us. Open our eyes that we may see clearly to discern as you teach us. As you shine, as your glorious light in our lives, that glorious light we sing about and talk about so much, Lord, is right there. Teach us to rightly discern the wrong in those who are around us in the world. Those who teach false doctrine and are a danger to our souls and, and who misrepresent the cause of our Lord in this sinful world. Lord, we want you to make us partakers of the divine, of your divine nature that you put in us. Lord, may we share that and just lean on you, rest on you, Lord, to our, Lord, may our tree be good fruit 
for you and for your kingdom. And all of it, Lord, for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, preaching a sermon like this, not many pastors are going to do that at Christmas time, are they? So, you know what? Beat me up. It's God's Word. And that's all we're about, isn't it? There's a whole lot of false doctrine being spread out there right now at Christmas time, folks. Let me tell you what. This season we come to declare in front of the whole world that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come into this world. And He's come here for all people who might receive Him. And we're here to show them. We can't save them, but we can sure tell them about Jesus, can't we? Amen. Let's do that this week. We're going to stand and repeat.